sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Today was supposed to begin the seven days of Anne. Oftentimes, those who have December birthdays feel like they are overlooked. And so I was determined that this was going to be a week of celebration of the bride that God has given to me. Um, One of the boxes was delivered, and so I wrote on the front of the box, this is the first day of Anne, you may open it whenever you feel special. So Anne decided that seven days was not enough, she wanted ten days of Anne. So, So day one started on Thursday. Day two, I took her to our favorite restaurant. Day three, my family honored her, and today is the fourth day of Anne. And so it's up to you to make her feel special today, because I'm running out of ideas. But each one of the days of Anne is marked with a gift that is not a bird in a fruit tree. When I was a kid... Sesame Street was more about numbers and letters. And some of you will recall that every episode was brought to the viewer by a letter and or a number. Today's message is brought to you by the letter H. If you look at these four verses in Ephesians chapter 1 and underline all of the H's, you will um, have a very good idea of what today's message is all about. One of my mentors that I've never met personally, but through technology and through printing, has shaped my preaching is Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll is known to say that there are only two things that are everlasting. People and the Word of God. And since I am unaware of any of us who would claim to speak for God, unless your Christmas giving includes pregnancy, none of us will be giving everlasting gifts this Christmas. But God, on the other hand, wants you to experience an even better Christmas than you imagined. Because he gives gifts that are better gifts than we can give. Because he gives everlasting gifts. In today's text from Ephesians chapter 1, it reveals that the best gift giver is the triune God. To understand the, pro- the pronouns in verse 11... Who is the he? We have to go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says that these blessings come from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see in these verses that these blessings from God the Father are in Christ and that they are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So all three members of the Trinity are present in the gifts that God gives to us. 
The first gift that this passage describes is that God provides an inheritance. Dr. Larry Crabb, a pastoral counselor who passed away earlier this year after 24 years of cancer struggle, wrote that there are two basic human needs. Every human being has a basic need for security and a need for significance. And I believe that the inheritance that God offers addresses both of these needs. Because first we see that the inheritance that God has given to us is secure. It says, for we have obtained. It's something that we already have. It's ours right now. And and this secure inheritance gives us hope. I, I like that word hope. Hope is a good perspective, but is woefully inadequate when it comes to the condition of eternity. When you think about eternity, and we all do from time to time, God does not want you to hope that you will go to heaven. He has made provision that we may know that we are going to heaven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. That's secure. Not a hope, not a wish, not a dream. But we can know that our inheritance is secure. As I look at these verses in front of me, then I, I actually see that um, in verses 11 and 12, we have the, the pronoun we. And the we in verses 11 and 12 is actually speaking of Jewish believers, of which I don't think we have any here today, because the Jewish people were the first to believe in Christ. They were the first to hope. But then when we get to verse 13, then Gentiles, you also are added. So we're included in the inheritance. The Jewish believers hoped first, and we hope later, so we are all included in this inheritance that God gives. And one evidence of our future confidence is the way that God has been protecting his chosen people for centuries. Even though Semites have been and continue to be despised by others, God has protected his chosen people. And so we can have confidence that our inheritance is secure and that he will protect us who have been grafted in to the work that is recorded in the 39 books of our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. We read that this inheritance that we have is according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of God's will is conveyed to us through the entire Old Testament. Even all of the begat, 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 begats are evidence that God has protected the inheritance that he promised. God has and will continue to protect 
the messianic line. Our inheritance is secure. And because our inheritance is secure, we also have significance. Because we have obtained, we now hope. And this hope is more than just a wish or a dream. Our familial standing, the fact that we are part of God's family, means that our lives are not meaningless. Your life has significance because you are part of God's family. We are destined for a rich future. Because hope is a concept that transcends time. Hope is separated from wishes and dreams. Last night, I'm trying to be a little bit more romantic this Advent season, and so I'm watching some of the Hallmark movies. I know it's the same plot in different settings, but last night I watched an that was about the wish tree. And it's something that you hang an ornament, you make a wish, you open your eyes, and it may or may not have come true. But the difference between a wish or a dream and hope is that hope is rooted or based in something that has already happened. We don't wish for our future. We have hope in our future because it is rooted in something that is secure. And because it's rooted in the past, hope is essentially a word that looks forward to some resolution. Rooted in the past, looking forward, and because we look forward with optimism, its current reality gives us optimism It gives us endurance as we keep pressing. We have significance in this life because we have optimism based on what God has done. We look forward to what he will do. So if hope is rooted in past accomplishments, the root of our hope is that God offers the gospel of salvation. It's not just religious obedience. But in verse 13, God offers to us the greatest gift, the gospel of salvation. I know some have tried to claim that the very concept of a divine being is the result or the product of man's imagination. But Paul says we don't just imagine that there is a God. Paul says the work of God is not merely human speculation. The gospel is not something that we imagine. It is something of which we are informed. God reveals to us. He informs us so we don't have to imagine what the gospel of salvation truly is. We are informed of God's part in salvation. For we have heard what was proclaimed. D.L. Moody is quoted uh, as answering, someone asked Moody, what is your role in salvation? And Moody says, my part was to do the sinning and his part was to do the saving. 
His part is to do the saving. And we are informed when we hear the gospel of salvation that God has done his part. You know, there are many who have a false understanding of the gospel. For they believe that man is basically good and that he, man does the best that he can to merit eternal life. And then God's grace just kind of seeps into the cracks and fills up the, the, the gaps that may exist. But the gospel is not that we do the best that we can and then God makes up the difference. The teaching of Scripture is that apart from His grace, we're all corrupt. Apart from grace, they, they humanity, does abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Psalm 53 goes on to say, They, humanity, have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So the idea that we do our best and God just kind of pours gravy over it and fills in the gaps is not the gospel of the Bible. One of Moody's stories recounts and he was preaching in London where he gave this message. He says, Suppose I was going over London Bridge and I saw a poor, miserable beggar. Barefooted, coatless, hatless, no rags hardly to cover his nakedness. And right behind this beggar, only a few yards, there was the Prince of Wales with a bag of gold. And the poor beggar was running away from him as if he were running from a demon. And the prince of Wales was calling after him, O beggar, here is a bag of gold. What? We would say that beggar had gone mad to be running away from the prince with a bag of gold. But dear sinner... That is your condition apart from God's grace. The Prince of Heaven wants to give you eternal life. And many of us are running away from Him. The Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's why I say God gives better gifts. And when God has done his part, the saving, we then are inspired to do our part. Our part is not an effort, but our part is a response. We respond to his gift with belief. Now, those verses that I just shared about everyone being corrupt and being abominable, now, I, I am not trying to say that you individually are any more evil than I am. You are no more evil than anyone else who's listening to this message. But the gospel that is mentioned in Ephesians 1 is the better gift that God offers. Every single person who has ever lived, besides the first couple, has been born into a guilty and a separated condition. But God loves you so much. He does not wish for you to stay 
in that guilty and separated and hopeless condition. So he sent his only son, the second person of the Trinity, to come as a babe, to live sinlessly, to die sacrificially, and to rise from the dead to remedy our alienation. John 3.16 puts it this way, so that you may not perish, but have eternal life. God does his gift to offer it. We do our part to believe it. We're inspired to believe. Because a gift transfer is not complete until it is received. If I told you that a paid-for gift is waiting for you at Best Buy or the jeweler, it does you no good until you act upon the information and receive the gift. You won't come to understand God's plan through mere human reasoning. But even through what is called the foolishness or the folly of preaching, because preaching does have its weaknesses, but if you hear what is being said and respond with the choice to believe, your inheritance can be secured. God offers you an even better Christmas by offering you the best gift. And even through the weakness of my preaching, if you hear the message, if you receive it through belief, your inheritance can be secured. Because the scripture goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So you may be wondering, what evidence can I offer to support the claim that your belief in this truth proclaimed through a weak sermon is reliable? Well, if you believe what you have heard God has promised and delivered the Holy Spirit, as we see in the Scriptures. He has already given, because we have the Holy Spirit right now. There are three verbs that I see here in verse 13. You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. And all three of those are in a... A past tense that talks about a process. There was a process that happened that came to completion. In other words, you went through the process of hearing about the gospel until you heard the whole gospel. And then you considered, should I or should I not choose to believe in this? And at the end of your debate, you came to a conclusion, yes, I will believe this. I heard the whole message and came to a point. I believe the whole message because I have wrestled with it. And then it says, and then you were sealed, which again is a process that comes to a completion. I have owned two houses in my lifetime. And in each of those purchases, a title search was done, a deed was compiled, 
And then that deed was registered with the proper authorities. And it was a process then that concluded with legal certainty. This deed has been filed and this property belongs to the bank that Dave is paying. And eventually it may come to him. Because of the three past things in verse 13 that you have heard, that you have believed, and that you have been sealed, verse 14 then goes on to state a present reality. And verse 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Because of hearing, because of believing, because of sealing, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells Christians now. See, just like those two property deeds that I talked about, no matter who may challenge that deed, the security of our salvation has been recorded by the very person of God himself. The Holy Spirit has recorded the deed of your soul. So if you begin to doubt your salvation, if other people try to tell you you're not good enough, if Satan tries to discourage you, we simply have to say, no, the Holy Spirit has already filed the deed. God himself has made the claim. We have him now because he seals us now. You know, this is a time of year where many of us are sending greeting cards. And some cards are sealed with a lick. Some are sealed by a machine, so you don't get those paper cuts on your tongue. Some are swack, sealed with a kiss. Some may be sealed by a sticker. And some of these cards may even be sealed with hot wax and a personal imprint. I have received some envelopes in the past where the sender actually signed his name across the seal so that if anyone ever tampered with it, the intent of the sender would be evident to all. That's the idea of the seal, that we comply with the intent of the sender. God has sent the gift and has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Just as Pilate's seal was placed on the stone at the mouth of Jesus' tomb, when Pilate's seal was attached, what that said is, Pilate's authority is going to come against anyone who disturbs the seal. And God has sealed our salvation so that anyone, including you, who attempts to disturb that seal will be challenging God himself. That's why each one of us can confidently claim that I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Say that with me. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the Holy Spirit because he seals us. And nothing, not even you, can separate us from God's love for us. And the very presence of the Holy Spirit within us guarantees a future possession. 
His presence is the guarantee. In the days before pay at the pump or prepay gasoline, it, it was a common practice to fill the tank and then to pay for the fuel. Remember those days when they actually trusted us? There were two times when I put gas in the tank and then realized my cash and debit card were not in my wallet. What do you do when you've already dispersed the fuel and you can't pay for it? Well, one time I was at a station that was only a block from our home, and I explained the situation to the clerk, and I gave the clerk my driver's license as proof that I would be back. I went home, got my debit card, came, settled the account, and it was all good. That's the first time that I filled my tank and and couldn't pay for it. But the second time, I was a little bit further from home, and the clerk at the station did not know me from Adam. And not only did I have my driver, I I didn't have my driver's license. I didn't have my debit card. I didn't have my wallet. It it wasn't there, but the gas had already been put in the tank. What was I going to do in that situation? In that situation, I left my son, Michael, who was with me, (laughs) at the station. Then I went home and I retrieved my wallet, then returned to finish the transaction. Now, which guarantee do you think was more sure? My driver's license or my son? (laughs) Yeah, depending on the day. This was before he was a teenager, so he was still (laughs) in good graces. And, And just as the presence of the Holy Spirit guarantees our future possession, the future of, or the presence of my son guaranteed that I would come. And I would set things right with the clerk. The Spirit of God himself, the third person of the Trinity, has been left to guarantee that possession will be made complete because we have him now and he seals us. You know, this is the the time of year when retailers try to compel us to give lasting gifts. Jewelers claim that a diamond is forever, but if Swindoll is correct, and I think he is, you will be separated from that diamond upon your death. Because a diamond is not the word of God or a person. Car dealers are trying to get us to sign and drive at the event so that you can obtain a gift now and and pay for it later. But the best vehicles, even the blue oval, Jeff, eventually wears out. Diamonds may be forever, but you can't take them with you. The best vehicles eventually wear out. Even that fruitcake that may get re-gifted 20 times will eventually lose its attractiveness. So rather than gifts that result in separation, need replacement, or lose their attraction, God offers gifts that truly last. Gifts that can satisfy our souls. 
And the greatest gift that we can offer to others, God gifts, God's gifts lead to an even better Christmas. If we receive it now, and if we offer that gift to those who are around us. I've chosen a song of response this morning because of one word in one line of the song. And so you need to look for the line that says, Let earth receive her king. Because God is the God who gives the best gifts. Let's stand together as we sing two verses of this great carol.